Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Not a dividend. It's a tale of two pawns. Now, your losses are on someone else's balance sheet. Generally speaking, airdrops are kind of pointless anyways. Um, I named trading firms who were very involved. Um, Alec.eth is the ultimate puzzle. DeFi protocols are the antidote to this problem. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Chopping Block. Every couple of weeks, the four of us get together and give the industry insider's perspective on the crypto topics of the day. So quick intros. First, we got Tom, the DeFi maven and master of memes. Next up, we've got Robert, the crypto connoisseur and captain of Compound. Then we've got Tarun, the gigabrain and grand poobah at Gauntlet. And finally, you've got myself, I'm Hasib, the head hype man at Dragonfly. All four of us are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, legal advice, or even life advice. Please see choppingblock.xyz for more disclosures. All right, so it has been an interesting week because markets, for the first time in a long time, are actually up. We've seen crypto and alts rally really significantly, basically about 30% plus in the last week, which has been, uh, you know, it's been down only essentially since, you know, the since fall. And this is the first time that we've seen some signs of life in the markets. Uh, there's been some macro tailwinds. So, you know, broader uh, growth assets are doing well, but we've seen crazy run-ups, especially in alt L1s. Like Solana, you know, on one of the previous shows, we were talking about how Solana seemed to have been put in its grave after the collapse of FTX. Solana is now back up to where it started. Up over, Aptos is up over 300%. Uh, liquid staking derivatives are up like crazy. The L2s are, are, are driving hard. What have you guys been noticing in this market? And what do you think is driving all this? I just want to say I'm happy that I, I, I on this show, said that uh, Solana hitting going under 10 was their ETH $88 moment. <laughs> you did say that. You did say that. You're always the, the Solana you know, uh, uh, light at the end of the tunnel guy. I just think I just think it's really hard to build communities that don't disappear on like the moment the price is down and like they have done that and you you have to like in this industry I think that that goes probably the farthest of anything. And so a lot of metrics still look really good, right? They are one of the most uh, in terms of daily actives, one of the most used blockchains still in existence. So I was I, I was definitely surprised at how aggressively it sold off. You know, it, today it's sitting at around like twenty three, twenty four dollars. And it sold to below 10, which I thought was just bananas. Like it became like number 30 or something on Coin Market Cap, despite the fact that it's still one of the only household names among layer one blockchains. So now it's gone back and reclaimed its throne, which seems which seems appropriate. I mean, Solana still has issues. And of course, DeFi on Solana has gotten completely destroyed. And we now have the, you know, the mango markets case is starting to play out. And so, you know, I think there's uh there's there's definitely headwinds facing Solana, but it clearly should be sitting higher than a lot of of these, you know, zombie L1s that are sitting somewhere in the top 30. Yeah, it feels like some of this is narrative driven, right? With like the Shanghai upgrade coming up, people getting excited about liquid staking derivatives and, you know, with withdrawals coming up and making maybe making, you know, some of those um, assets more attractive. But um, part of it also seems to be kind of uncorrelated. We were talking a little bit about like optimism's retro airdrop period um, stopped. And so like, their transactions just kind of totally fell off a cliff in the past few days. And yet the token is still doing quite well. So 
there's definitely a lot of beta. There's maybe a little bit of alpha in some of these sectors, but, and then obviously, yeah, a lot of the macro tailwinds, it looks like some of it was liquidation driven. So yeah, all things kind of, kind of combined. I also want to say, I think that 2021, like this is a very boring reason and a reason that doesn't apply to all of crypto, but I think a significant portion of crypto, which is 2021 taxes probably took people an insane amount of time to do. And I think the first time people probably could have like figured out their true ability to make new purchases may have been January 2023. So there might just be some very boring systematic stuff like that. Because like I know in normal finance, like a lot of people I know basically said something akin to that for like why their funds were like net zero in the market for the last six months and then started investing again. So. Yeah, I heard, you know, some speculation that people were afraid of funds being wound down or redemptions that were, you know, dated for January. Uh, and so now that we're past those, or presumably past the, the lion's share of those, it just kind of, you know, there, there's a certain degree of seller exhaustion that you just run out of people who want to sell. And once all the assets rotate in stronger hands, then it's like, oh, okay, well, we're kind of done. Another element of it must surely be that people, people were very worried about contagion after FTX. And of course, we saw some of that with Genesis, which we'll talk about at some length today. It's kind of like, okay, well, who else is going to fall? It's like, it doesn't really seem like there's that many other dominoes that are that closely situated. At this point, it's like, okay, we kind of know what's going to happen. And what markets hate more than anything is uncertainty. So once that uncertainty subsides, at least to a degree, it makes it easier for markets to sort of get repriced uh, without people you know, being, being afraid of uh, being in the line of fire. So now that said, liquidity is still pretty bad. And obviously, a lot of people have gotten hurt over the last few months. So you don't want to be too sanguine. Uh, a, a very relatively small moves can affect the market in a very large way, with liquidity being this shallow. So, um, you know, who knows where it goes from here? But it is a—it's definitely a good opening to a new year. And um, I hope that things—I hope that things continue with this trend because last year was so brutal, and it was brutal just end to end. Right? We, there was almost no respite last year. So having a nice kind of 30% rally to, to start off the year, I think bodes well for the industry. Having just like a little bit of good news every once in a while, I think is healthy. But with that good news being acknowledged, let's move on to the bad news. So Genesis has filed for bankruptcy. So last time we were talking, we were, um, uh, we, were, we were detailing the back and forth between DCG and Gemini. Gemini, of course, is the biggest creditor to Genesis. Genesis is a subsidiary of DCG. And there was this big fight going on. And there was, a, there was a speculation that the creditors of Genesis may decide to negotiate a prepackaged bankruptcy, okay? So prepackaged bankruptcy basically means that instead of fighting it out in bankruptcy court, you decide exactly how the pie is going to get split up in the bankruptcy, what the settlements are going to be. But the bankruptcy court itself basically just shepherds this agreement along, makes sure that it gets instantiated, but everybody already knows what they're getting and how things are going to get done. So that allows a bankruptcy to be much less expensive and move much faster. So there was speculation that this was going to happen. And the way it was going to be structured was some cash paid out of front, a forbearance period, meaning that people were going to be patient and wait to get the rest of their, their uh, uh, consideration uh, back. And then they were also going to get some equity conversion into DCG. So creditors to Genesis would own equity in DCG, and they would get some payouts over time uh, from DCG, right? That, that, that was roughly how this negotiation was going. But apparently this negotiation fell apart. Because Genesis was pushed into bankruptcy. Uh, we don't know yet by whom. Uh, it could have been, you know, it, it's really hard to tell. It could have been Ge uh, uh, Gemini at this point, because it's very clear that even after 
the bankruptcy was initiated, Cameron is still coming after DCG, still tweeting that DCG is acting in bad faith and they were forced to do this because, you know, they, they, these guys are, are stonewalling them. Um, but now in, in, you know, the, the stakes are higher now that they are in bankruptcy. Robert, do you have any, any color on like how exactly they were entered into bankruptcy? Yeah. Genesis itself, um, filed for bankruptcy. So it wasn't an involuntary bankruptcy filing. Genesis pushed themselves into bankruptcy. I see. And, and so why do you think they decided to, to file themselves into bankruptcy, given that presumably like, it's, it's worse for everyone than a, in, a you know, negotiated settlement? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, the first day hearings are tomorrow. In advance of that, um, you know, a number of pieces of information and documents have been filed. I would recommend everyone read them for themselves as opposed to getting a non-lawyer such as myself's opinion on them. But you can find the documents at restructuring.ra.crowl.com slash Genesis. And there's a lot here already. I'll give a quick rundown of my personal read of them, which could contain inaccuracies. So don't take it as gospel. Read the documents for yourself and form your own opinions. But um, there was a huge amount of information that goes through who the creditors are and the rough state of the business. This is like in preparation for the first day hearings. This was provided by Genesis. The business doesn't sound like it's in great shape. You know, the biggest question is who, how many assets do they actually have and how much do they owe people? Based on, you know, a quick read of it, they had a lot less cash on hand and digital assets than most people would think which means the hole is potentially a lot bigger than has been reported by Genesis, by DCG, et cetera. The more interesting thing is that, you know, there was a, you know, prepackaged bankruptcy plan that was filed. Now, this plan is not what the rumors on Twitter were, where there would be a forbearance period and that there would be, you know, some DCG equity and all of this. The plan which you can find on the documents, um, is actually really simple. It says either the creditors agree to equitization and they wind up owning this business, which by the way, the business is probably a worthless husk of a business, <laughs> even if it restarts operations, or they don't agree and it's pushed into liquidation. If it goes through liquidation, there's actually two classes of creditors which get treated differently. And having any creditors treated differently is always a huge red flag and pretty weird. But it proposes that there's Genes uh, sorry, Gemini as a creditor group and, quote, institutional borrower, uh, institutional creditors as the other group. And they actually get treated differently. So the way it's worded, and I can see that this plan is probably not going to get approved because it seems ridiculous on its face. But the way it's worded is there's a trust set up with all of the assets to be sold, you know, to distribute to all of the creditors, whether they're you know, Gemini earn creditors or whether they're institutional creditors in a pro rata basis. For the institutional creditors, there's still like a to be concluded like dollar amount. It's like an empty input field, but it says DCG will contribute some unknown amount of money as a DCG contribution on top for the institutional creditors. Um, so that could be $1, that could be $1 billion. It, could make the creditors whole. It could not make them whole. It's unknown. Like the outcome's wildly different based on how big that dollar sign is. It's probably based on them selling off assets like CoinDesk and whatever, and then using that to plug the hole. I have no idea what the number would be. And it says for Gemini, 
creditors. There'd be a Gemini contribution. So I, I think it was like deliberately like, I, and I'm not a lawyer, but like it seemed like a slap in the face intentionally towards Gemini, which is like, oh, for those other guys, we're going to kick in money. And for you, you're going to have to kick in money so retail doesn't get screwed in some proportion. You know, I don't know who would approve this plan and how. I think the idea is that Barry used to work in restructuring and all of this stuff. I think the idea is that there's some game theory where if the DCG contribution is large enough, there's enough non-Gemini creditors to approve this plan and screw over Gemini and come out okay. Um, and then, you know, Barry can raise his hands and say, like, mission accomplished. You know, we did great. You know, there's a successful resolution and everyone's happy and, you know, it comes out of bankruptcy very quickly. But, you know, we'll see what happens. It's, you know, tomorrow's are the first day hearings. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of information that comes out and a lot of analysis that comes out. And I think all of our opinions are going to evolve very quickly in the next couple of days and weeks. Quick question, just as a, a, a moment of levity. Who do you think will generate more fees for bankruptcy lawyers, uh, SBF, FTX, or uh, DCG slash Gemini? Definitely FTX. F- yeah, Definitely FTX, FTX by a mile. But yeah, by, by like far, 10 times? By far. I'm just curious. Like, I was watching the Madoff, uh, uh, you know, and Netflix special, and like, I, I didn't realize that the, the trustee had a billion. I thought they got earned like 100 million. So I was off by a factor of 10. So that's why I was kind of curious wow. about your estimates of, of this because it, it, it is actually a quite a large chunk of change in a lot of cases. Well, so remember that DCG is one of the largest interested parties here. So they have a, like with FTX, FTX was basically abandoned, right? Like all the FTX leadership is gone. And so there is really nobody to kind of keep the show orderly, right? So the, the lawyers can just kind of, they're just, you know, they, they can basically just pick it apart and there, there's there's almost no limitations provided that a bankruptcy judge doesn't think that they're like way out of line. So like with FTX, there was a story about Sullivan and Cromwell basically like swooping in like vultures and just flagrantly charging massive fees and, and, you know, routing around all these conflicts of interest, which nobody could stop, right? Because there's nobody really there to run the show uh, besides the lawyers. Whereas in the case of Genesis and DCG, like DCG has a real interest in, in maximizing the recovery because of course they're one of the people who are going to participate in that recovery. So um, uh, Gemini as well. So uh, I don't think this is the same kind of situation. And the complexity of the bankruptcy is going to be quite a lot lower than FTX, right? Like FTX, I mean, people are projecting it's going to take multiple years. This one is probably not even going to take a year, would be my guess. You think less than a year? That's your prediction? I believe so. I mean, I don't know. Robert, what do you think? I think if people can agree to a prepackaged set of terms, it'll be pretty quick. I think if they don't, it's a total cluster. If there's lawsuits from... The Winklevi twins, I mean, you know, if anything's contested, I think this, you know, gets dragged out dramatically. Um, there's already people contesting some of like the very simple facts that have already come out. Like a number of creditors have stood up and say like, hey, you got the amount that I'm owed completely wrong. Like one example is like, you know, Cumberland came out and said, you know, oh, it says you owe us like 18 or 19 million. And like, that's wrong. You owe us $40,000. Like, <laughs> You know, like there's already confusion and dispute of some basic facts. And, you know, there's another one that came out, another creditor came out and said $150 million, you know, credit was, you know, incorrect. And that, you know, the filing was done in an incredibly sloppy manner. You know, in both these cases, it seems like they were like potentially overestimating the 
total dollar value of the creditors, um, potentially also underestimating the dollar value of the assets, but, you know, potentially to like, you know, spook everyone into a rapid settlement. You know, so I think like there might be facts that get disputed along the way. I think people are going to, you know, have to figure out, you know, who owes whom what. Like if they can't even agree on the basics, then this becomes a lot harder, Um, especially as it relates to Gemini Earn, who's going to be negotiating pretty hard. Congrats on not being one of the uh, top 50 unsecured creditors, by the way. Yeah, no one wants to be in the top 50. That would be really unfortunate. Is that a congrats or is that like a, you know, would you rather, you know, it's like, you'd rather be in one of the top 50 creditors because it means, you know, you have more, you have more money to potentially recover. That's right. Yeah. No, it could also mean you were smart enough to remove your money prior to the. That's another way to look at it. So, so. But, but okay, actually, can we just take two seconds to talk about the list of the top 50? Because there were some very weird people. Like, I was like, Bybit, the Stellar Foundation, Decentraland. Like, I mean, Decentraland, I guess, like, if I remember correctly, during the pandemic, Barry was always shilling it on Twitter. I, 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 but, so I'm guessing he owned a bunch, but... Well, they also have the Grayscale Mana Trust, right? Um, right, right, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, a bunch of interesting names. I mean, one of, there there were two. Um, th- so the three big businesses, or four, I guess, big businesses that seem to be entwined in the t- top fifty creditor list. So one is Van Eck, which of course is you know trying to run some of these ETFs. Uh, Abra, which is uh, you know sort of another institutional lender, or I don't know if you call them institutional, but they're another lender. And then um, Donut, which is one of these um, what are they called? Sort of crypto neobanks. DeFi uh, Molotov, Donut was also <laughs> DeFi. Why do they call it DeFi Molotov? Because it's uh, business in the front, party in the back. I guess this is maybe the opposite in that it was actually not a DeFi mullet and it was just putting it on Genesis. Yeah, it was kind of yeah, the opposite. Exactly. It was almost like, you know, retail in the This front. is just a buzz cut. Yeah. What's the inverse of a mullet? Yeah, I like, I, I really don't bangs, know. Bangs, really big bangs. Yeah. Really big bangs. Okay, well, they got banged pretty good at this one. We all the creditors, DRW, of course, is contested. DRW, the owner of Cumberland, who they say that they're not actually big creditors. Mirana, which is affiliated with Bybit, Stellar Foundation, another big creditor. Now, a bunch of the creditors are still redacted, um, so we actually don't know who they are. I was actually, I was surprised, Robert, to, to your point. Like, you know, with FTX, there was so much fog of war because their record keeping was so terrible that, you know, that's also part of the reason why I think you should expect the FTX liquidation takes so long is that there's so little clarity about, you know, the accounting and who owns what and when were the customer balances supposed to be snapshotted. You know, Genesis is like a real grown-up business. They have much better record keeping. So it, it seems like it's very strange that we already have so much uh, incorrect information in the filing when this stuff should be really easy to figure out. Like, uh, I think Cumberland claimed that they that they liquidated they, they liquidated the collateral of Genesis like in November or something, like a while back. They claimed that they had liquidated the collateral, and so what the hell is they doing on a January petition? But so technically speaking. We, we, we haven't seen a balance sheet yet from Genesis, but we should get one soon uh, to actually see like the real state of, of what's on the balance sheet. But we do know that they have roughly 5.1 billion of liabilities and about 1 billion, a little bit more than 1 billion of liquid crypto assets. That indicates that you know, in the worst case, a recovery might be something like 20 cents on the dollar. But of course, there's a lot of other stuff in there. You know, there's the promissory note. There's you know, other, other receivables that they have. One of the big elements that people have pointed out is that there was um, a loan to Alameda of 2.6 billion, which is roughly half the value of all the current liabilities of Genesis. So if that loan is subject to clawback, 
meaning that the FTX bankruptcy says, hey, guess what? This takes precedence. This was in the last 90 days. So we're going to claw this back because it was not in the ordinary course of business. Then the gen- basically half of whatever, uh, half of the dollar value, or half, you know, basically 50 cents to the dollar would be lost from Genesis, which might be potentially you know, the entire recovery uh, or a significant portion of it. So right now it's pretty hard to project what you would get in a Genesis recovery from what I've heard claims are trading at 20, 25 cents on the dollar. That generally implies, you know, usually when these people are buying claims, you know, they're buying looking for like a two, three X. So that means that if you hold it to maturity, there's a good chance that markets are projecting, you know, 50 to 75% recovery. But at this point, there's so, there's so little that we know. It's hard to say. And as you said, Robert, there's very likely to be lawsuits. Um, you know, this whole, this whole thing between Gemini and DCG about the account, the, the current, current asset representations about the promissory note, that's still up in the air. We've yet to see if that's going to be uh, adjudicated. So there's a lot of question marks still about this bankruptcy. So I, I, you know, I, we'll, we'll learn more soon, but Tarun, I do expect that this thing is going to move faster. And we're going to learn a lot more, a lot more quickly than we have with FTX. I, uh, yeah, I, I, when you're speaking of claims, I hear there's a new claims exchange to, to, <laughs> That's right. That's right. So one of the other interesting and connected pieces of news is that uh, we have a, a comeback tour from some crypto villains. Uh, so the Three Arrows guys, Kyle and Suzu, they were reported as being founders of a new exchange called GTX alongside Mark Lamb, the founder of CoinFlex. Um, so CoinFlex, if you recall, was an exchange that went into bankruptcy because of, uh, uh, what's his name? Roger Roger Ver. Roger Ver, that's right. Um, and so uh, these guys, uh, they ended up partnering up together to build an exchange for trading bankruptcy claims. Because of course, that is now the store of value in crypto has moved on from Bitcoin to bankruptcy claims. They were lambasted on Twitter. The name is GTX, which, sta- what, what, why, is it, why is it called GTX? It's called GTX because G is one letter after F, I think. That's, that's why they're calling it GTX. And then after they got skewered on, on crypto Twitter, they decided to change the name from GTX to something else. So they're going to announce later the, uh, the new name for the exchange. You, I, I, was, I was talking to you, Robert, you were telling me you guys didn't take the pitch. We have not spoken to them yet, but I heard that you guys spoke to them, right? We did. We did. They told us we were their first call. I'm, I'm sure so you was, were the first of many first calls. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we may have been, we may have been, I, I will say when we talked to them, I told them like, look, guys, I don't know that this is investable, but I, I will offer you one piece of advice. Please change the fucking name for GTX. Like there's no, there's absolutely no way that this is a good idea for to name this company GTX. And I guess they didn't listen because when the news came out, they just got completely destroyed on Twitter for it. So, but they are changing the name now. So, but apparently they've lined up the capital. And this thing is going to get funded, you know, like these guys are, you know, for whatever you might think of them, they clearly have a big following and a lot of people uh, still find them to be very influential. So I can believe they're going to pull something off. And uh, Lord knows the bankruptcy claims in crypto are proliferating. So I can see it happening. All I have to say is uh, CoinFlex was a very weird exchange. I just hope that they don't build this entire thing on Bitcoin Cash again. One of the reasons Roger Ver was a large CoinFlex user before he became a large CoinFlex abuser is that they built and did most of their settlement on Bitcoin Cash. Wait, didn't they have an ERC twenty? Yeah, eventually, but like, like they they started as a bit. How do you think they attracted the 
the certain types of users that they had. Wait, what were they settling on Bitcoin Cash? Um, you're like like fifty percent of their balances or something were in Bitcoin Cash. Like the majority of their volume was BCH for a long time. Oh, so they they were attracting that volume, but they weren't like settling, uh, you know, uh, other no, yeah, contracts. Yeah, yeah, but on but, but they were attracting that volume because you you had to post BCH to margin. <laughs> no, but certainly not only BCH, right? Not it was only, but, accepted. but not only, but they were like Bitmex, where it was like it was a pretty dominant. Like their wallets were probably the biggest BCH active wallets. Uh, right. So right. I I just the only word of advice outside of the horrible name is I do really hope that they try to take some lessons learned in exchange technologies since then. Yeah. Well, actually it's, it's funny, funny enough. It's somewhat connected because um, of course the three arrow, the, the three arrows guys, they were brought down by the GBTC trade. And we actually learned something from the filings about the GBTC trade, which is that if you recall um, when Genesis was filing for bankruptcy, GBTC plummeted in value. And apparently part of the reason for this is that um, Gemini had actually pledged 31 million GBTC shares to Genesis for Gemini Earn, which were liquidated. Uh, and so a lot of these, uh, there actually is a very large overhang of GBTC has already been liquidated, meaning that you know it, it's, it's quite possible actually that in the coming weeks, we will see that there's much less fear around GBTC and some of the Grayscale products just because of the fact that uh, Genesis has already unloaded a big portion of their GBTC assets that they have on hand. Supposedly, they have another 30 million of GBTC behind that, but uh, you know, basically half of what we initially thought that they were going to have on hand. Yeah. The nav gap has already been recovering a bit over the past week, I think in part just because there's also in that this forced selling, right? That's like 5% of all GBTC shares being sold on the market, which is just quite a lot. Yeah, which is pretty nuts. Um, what, is the, what is the discount now? And I assume when markets open on Monday, we'll see... Uh, a refresh price there. Yeah, I think it's around 40%. Um, so still quite large, but, you know, uh, up off of the high 40 or something like that, or at bottom. Nature's healing. Yeah, nature's healing. I think ETH, ETH E was like trading below 50% discount. It was, it was really bad. Yeah, I think it had like a 60% discount at one point. 60, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely insane. So yeah, D- DCG is now exploring a sale, as you mentioned, Robert, of, of uh, Coindesk. And what I've heard is that, you know, the, the, the bids they're fetching are like 20 million-ish, uh, which is much lower than what they were hoping to get. Um, and it's mostly media companies that are, that are bidding for it. So despite the fact that public markets have recovered, it seems like private markets are still, you know, pretty icy right now. In before Justin Sun or Charles Hoskinson bid for Cardano, for Coindesk. That is true. That is true. Especially if we see Binance step in, I think we might see uh, a hardier bid. I mean, Binance, didn't they spend so much money on Forbes? They paid $400 million for coin market cap. Well, that's a different, that's a different story. I mean, that's, that's, I feel like that makes more sense. Yeah. They probably made money from that. I could, I could believe it. I could believe it. I mean, but no, no, they did. They bought a lot of press coverage. You're, you're, you are sort of right, but I don't remember. I, I mean, the problem is like, it's very hard to compare anyone because FTX shown brightly in spending money on PR more than anyone else. So much so that mm. everyone else probably looks like a, you know, it looks like one of those GPT-3, GPT-4 horrible memes of like this many parameters and this many parameters. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay. 
All right. Well, uh, moving on. Oh, th- th- sorry. The last piece of news connected to this, and this is also um, a little bit surprising. So right after Genesis filed for bankruptcy, the SEC swooped in to save everybody at the last minute and slapped both Gemini and Genesis with charges of unregistered securities offerings. So we also saw the same thing actually happen to Nexo, uh, a settlement with the SEC for, I think, $40 million, a pretty significant settlement. But uh, Genesis and Gemini were both charged and saying, hey, you guys were marketing and offering this to retail customers. This is a security. It should have been registered. And so really hitting them while they're down and protecting basically no one. Uh, the SEC has, has, has come back in once again after, <laughs> after disaster has already been guaranteed. So this will likely also play into the expected recovery, of course, is like, what will the, you know, h- how will these charges be evaluated and what will the penalties be? I suspect the SEC is going to be, you know, the SEC is basically going to say like, look, this, we're, we're going to, you know, uh, punish potentially DCG and Gemini and get them to throw in more for the recovery of especially retail investors um, in the, uh, in the bankruptcy. That'd be my, that'd be my guess of how this is going to play out. Um, but it's it's too early to say. But this may actually sweeten the deal for for the recovery uh, and for retail investors who are caught up in this. Uh, but it might also not. It's it's hard to say at this point. So, one thing I had seen people speculate on, and I I, ha- I know, don't know enough to actually have a strong belief on this, is that Gemini may also be like ha- having to be a little careful about bankruptcy because of like this uh, indictment, because I think if it goes through and it's declared a security, all the earn users are allowed to sue them. Whereas if it's like a loan that isn't, they're not, it's like the recourse condition changes. And so like if the SEC's claim goes through, then like Gemini may actually, it might be cheaper for them to go to bankruptcy than to try to, to fight the future legal claims. I don't, I have no clue about the, I, I, again, I, this stuff is so insanely boring to me personally compared to like real crypto stuff. <laughs> I just like don't actually <laughs> don't know. <laughs> there is something um, a bit ominous. So there's, we were talking about GTX earlier and there's already a couple other claims marketplaces out there, including one called X claim um, where you can trade you know, your FTX claim or your BlockFi claim or whatever. And it's funny because it's, you know, kind of morbid because it, it looks like a normal sort of finance startup kind of thing, but they're, they're sort of like, green and emojis around like these these bankruptcies and like people trading their 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 claims of these bankruptcies and they have like a pending section so like they have silvergate and gemini like stay tuned we're monitoring it's like an upcoming product and i feel like it's just like very you know uh you know, it's it's funny when like uh, or that's it's normal for other starts to do that but like you know i certainly hope not i certainly hope there's no uh upcoming product here jeez jeez well but the banks have been recovering right yeah, I don't. I find it hard to believe something like Silvergate, but you know who knows. Well, Silvergate would be hard to, I think, settle because they're a public company, and it seems like a not very, just a public the, company, but a publicly traded bank. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Silvergate one seems like whoever made this site didn't think very hard about the settlement aspect of it. Um, but you know, maybe if we take the glass half full version of this claim stuff is this might actually be the, a really good time for the CDS market to develop in, in crypto in the sense of like 1994, when like the CDS market started, it was like due to these like large scale commodity company banks. Tarun, can you explain what a CDS is? Sorry, CDS is a credit default swap. It's like a way for you to bet. It, it's like a banker. It's like, you know, morally similar to a bankruptcy claim, of course, might be, might be different exactly in the structuring, but it's a way for 
investors to bet on um, a company defaulting. And so they, they, they buy these claims where if a company defaults, then they get paid out. Uh, and then people can take both sides of that, that, that bet at a very, very high level. Of course, in the last 10 years, there have been a bunch of really crazy, I don't know if I want to call them scandals or good trades, but uh, <laughs> in, in traditional finance where people figured out a bunch of very famous hedge funds figured out this idea of go give a loan to a company that you own a CDS on and tell them that you'll give them the loan only if they synthetically default, which causes the other side of the CDS to have to pay that side of the CDS. And there, there was like all this type of weird stuff going on. I think the cool part about the crypto version of this is that actually, this is kind of like prediction market, like assassination markets in prediction markets where like you open a prediction market on something and then you're very motivated to kill someone in order to make the prediction market come true. But synthetically. For sure, for sure. Get but someone I, to fake their own death. But synthetically, know, yeah. Yeah, so like there's like GSO, which is like this big productivity fund. And I think, uh, I forget if it was Blackstone. The, the, there have been a couple of these. There's, there's this one company called Codere, which had this like very large lawsuit. And I find this stuff more fascinating than the crypto bankruptcies because the crypto ones just seem filled with filled with like less strategy and more bluster, it so it seems. But the interesting thing about the credit default swap market was like it it started right before a huge bull market in 1994. That was like right before the like beginning of the run up into the Asian financial crisis. And uh, it was like sort of the new financial product that caused some of the you know excitement of that time. Obviously, there are tech companies, but like post Asian financial crisis, obviously, it was like the run up into the 99 bull market. So I, I actually would 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 say that there's there's a non-trivial probability that these claims markets actually are. I, I, I hate. I now I feel like I hate myself because I sound like one of those like anything is bullish for Bitcoin type <laughs> of people. But I actually think if these claims things get a ton of liquidity, they might. It might be like the credit default top market, which caused its but, own. But do you think that's a cause, or do you think that's just like it just happened to play out that way? It doesn't seem like that's a cause for a bull market. Well, I think sometimes when there are just new instruments that people have not figured out how to value correctly, that have a lot of interest and actually have some notion of like guaranteed payoffs, uh, which, you know, in this case, there, there will be some payoff for some of these claims, right? So like, there is money sitting there locked, and you're, you're speculating on it. It's not just like a prediction market of like, I'm sure, speculating sure. on this purely since I am speculating on this pool of cash and the percentage that gets distributed. So what you're telling us, so Tarun, what you're telling us is that Three Arrows is going to kick off the next bull market with GTX. Sounds like that's what you're saying. Sounds like you should invest, to be honest. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Uh, I'm not saying anything of that form. I, I'm just more pointing out that this type of product could actually, you know, if, if we look at different points in financial history, you know, after some certain types of crashes, like this type of product can be... Uh, useful for bringing the Tarun is predicting the start of a new super cycle. That sounds like what that's what I think that's what I'm hearing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, uh, that's Hasib's uh, you know, okay. interpretation. I'll let, I'll let, I'll let anyone interpret how they will. But, but I, I think it, this claims thing will be very interesting because you can structure them, you know, as you're seeing the difference between like X claim and claims market. I think those are the two like live ones. They're the exact payout structures different and settlements different. And, I think these have a, a little more legs than your normal prediction market because, again, you're speculating on a real pool of cash, right? You're not just speculating on, like, 
I'm hoping that there are enough people in the future who want to speculate on this, that there's a larger pool of cash to get distributed, right? You, you've, I, you've gotten rid of that. There is actually, there are assets. And so, you know, in, in that sense, it's like a very clean prediction market type of process. And, and I think obviously this industry is set up to build things to speculate on that. And so that, that's sort of a, a glass half full. I mean, that is precisely the story that the GTX guys are telling, which is that, look, you've got this proliferation of assets, which are all these bankruptcy claims, right? And like, you know, people don't have cash anymore. Interest rates are high. Everyone's gotten wrecked, but they do have these bankruptcy claims. And most of the people who have these bankruptcy claims are degenerates and they love crypto trading, which is why they lost all this money in the first place. So if you can give them away a place to monetize that one asset they have left, you can bring them back into the fold of crypto trading, especially if prices start to recover. You know, you can, you can, you can get them to use it as collateral. You can get them to sell it and get cash and then, you know, give them incentives to trade. And so that's, that's the story of GTX. If Kyle and Sue are listening to this, they owe me a tithe <laughs> for giving them the Blythe Masters thing because I, I feel like that was like a Blythe Masters sort of famous. She, she sort of gets credit for inventing the CDS. I, I think like there's, it's a little bit disputed, but uh, I think, I think I, I, I'm owed a tithe if I gave you. The you hear that Tarun is asking for an advisory role at GTX in case anyone's listening. Not, not, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying, you know, provenance. Okay. I want, I want okay. the provenance. Just, put, just make sure you put Tarun's face right on the center of the GTX homepage, endorsed by Tarun. Make sure, make sure that's there. Ideas, ideas by Tarun. Ideas, ideas by Tarun. Cool. But, but, but I, I, I think, like, how do you guys feel about these claims markets? I mean, they obviously have a huge set of problems, right? Like, how do I guarantee settlement? How do I lock up the claims people? How do I guarantee their payout? Um, how do I, like, source liquidity for one side at certain times? But, like, you know, just, like, ignoring the, the fact that we have certain people marketing it. Like, what, what's, your, what's your sort of, like, take on the, the evolution of that product? Well, I feel like all of the enforcement of like paying out the claims and all that stuff is just legal contracts the old way, right? It would be a lot cooler if you could use smart contracts for any of this stuff, but it's old school contracts for all of this stuff, right? Like you can't enforce any of it besides just, hey, contract law, you agreed to sell this. Yeah, there's a lot of legal nuance here. But, but there's one thing you can do, which is the locked Solana owned by FTX and Alameda. You can speculate on who gets that. And when they get sold, there's a bunch of on-chain assets here you could actually speculate on based on what's in the legal contracts. And then you use the the change in those as like a settlement. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a minority in most of these cases of the actual bankruptcy claims uh, or the or the value of the bankruptcy claims. I think for... I, I think the Solana is actually pretty big. It's like 11%, right? Of the FTV. What? 11% of the FTV? Oh, it's like 8 I thought it's like eight. It's like yeah. It's like it's like almost a billion right now. Is that right? That is a crazy amount of soul. No, 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 no. We we should definitely go fact check that. But I, I'm pretty sure they have like a very large amount of soul that would be great for this claims market. If if it is if it is that amount. I had no idea that was true. I thought it was like half that. Okay. Yeah. My, so my take on the, the, the idea of this claims market in the first place. So obviously we already have some, right? Like there is X claim and uh, whatever the other one is. So generally speaking, you know, the, the, the first order as a venture capitalist looking at an investment like that, the first thing that you want to think is like, okay, if this is a brilliant market that people really want access to, 
they should already be tripping over themselves for the current version of that product, right? Maybe an even better version of that product turbocharges it. But generally speaking, when you have a product that people really want, they're going to find a way to get it, even if it's in a suboptimal form. Now, I don't know that much about Xclaim, but it seems like it's like, okay, um, decent traction, but it's not like crazy. Now, that being said, you know, the, the story behind GTX is a little bit different, which is that, you know, the, the claims market is a wedge to get people initially into the market, but then it just sort of becomes a crypto exchange, right? And that seems like an interesting wedge as a way to build up, uh, you know, to just, you know, way to get DGENs in the door and get them to start trading uh, crypto like any, any other exchange. Um, the trouble with it is that it does seem like, look, you know, bankruptcies are very, they're, they're very pro-cyclical, right? When the market's going down, you're going to get a lot of bankruptcies and a lot of bankruptcy claims to trade. Uh, when the market's going up, nobody's declaring bankruptcy, so there's not going to be any bankruptcy claims. And then you're just a normal crypto exchange and you got nothing in particular that's unique that gets people in the door. So it's, it, 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 to my mind, it sort of feels like a one-time um, kind of, you know, sort of marketing advantage that you can use to get yourself off the ground. If that fails, you sort of got one, you've got one rocket booster. And if that rocket booster doesn't get you into orbit, then you're kind of just another crypto exchange and you've got to compete on the merits. So that, that seems to me like the, at least probably the, 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 the bear case for the story is that, yeah, you're going to get some people who are coming to trade bankruptcy claims. A lot of them will just trade once, sell it for cash and then leave. Um, and then a smaller number of people will actually help you build a business from those deposits that you get or those users who, you, who come in the door. It is, um, I, I agree with this. I think, I mean, I think what is interesting is how many people are clamoring for FTX to be restarted. Like even after FTX declared bankruptcy, it's sort of, sort of mildly related where people feel like, there is some gap in the market because they're like, look, I loved you know, the FTX UX. I love the cross-margining. And yet now it's gone and you know, nothing is really replacing it. And now even John J. Ray was discussing this week the possibility of like restarting FTX. So it, it's like, I agree with respect to like, hey, this is sort of a small moment in time market for these, for these bankruptcy claims. But like, there is sort of this question of like, who's going to sort of come fill that gap or you know, our Binance and, and you know, the other big exchanges are just going to develop their own sort of similar products. By the way, I just looked it up. So, so FTX and Alameda in combined had 50.5 million soul, which is over a billion now. And it completely vests in 2028. So I think the vast majority of it is actually because they did those crazy seven-year vests. Even with their soul. What? Yes. And uh, so there's, there, there's a lot, there, there's a lot Wait, sitting there. Wait, was this the ecosystem sales? Those were seven-year vests? I guess so. That's, oh, wait, oh, wait sorry. You're talking about Serum. You're not talking about Solana. This, no, no, I'm talking about Solana. That's like the crazy part. They they agreed to a longer vest than the default. What? That's insane. That's so Which insane. That's crazy. That, yeah. The, there's like, the, there, there's a Solana Foundation blog post talking about the 50.5 million. So 54.5 million soul. You could definitely bootstrap a prediction market on betting on what, how that gets distributed. Wow. I, I think that's enough. Wow. That's enough money. To- but it, it also means you need like a trustee for seven years to like manage the liquidation of this soul. You know, Madoff <laughs> was much longer than that, so it's not that crazy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I do think the whole wind down process has dust that they just like continue to like collect and report on for years and years and years. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be painful. Well. With respect to FTX, we did get a story that um, the the liquidators identified 5.5 billion in liquid assets uh, for the FTX total estate. We still don't have a good number on 
the liabilities. So we don't know what that represents in terms of a, you know, a percentage recovery, but it's at least better than some people were originally anticipating. Now, Sam, in the Times is our last show, Sam has come out with his own Substack. And in the Substack, he's basically doing the same thing he was doing before, but with a lot more words and a lot more charts and a lot more homespun Excel sheets, uh, basically trying to claim that FTX US is still solvent and that Sullivan and Cromwell, which was the law firm that was appointed to uh, oversee the bankruptcy, that Sullivan and Cromwell basically, and the FTX liquidators, have essentially been either delinquent or outright um, you know, uh, fraudulent in making it so that FTX US uh, has, has not remained solvent, despite the fact that at the time of the filing, FTX US was completely solvent. Um, there was a complaint filed by Ryan Miller, who was the uh, chief regulatory officer for FTX, claiming that there were a bunch of irregularities and or ethical issues with Sullivan and Cromwell. The judge overruled these complaints. and basically said, no, Sullivan and Cromwell is fine. Screw off. But it's raised a lot of eyebrows, I think, about uh, perhaps, in fact, Sam was correct. And that at the time, supposedly one of the things in the complaint was the claim that um, FTX US, because it was the most solvent, it had the most cash on hand, FTX US was used to pay the bankruptcy fees to Sullivan and Cromwell on behalf of the other filing entities. Um, but that at the time, FTX US may have been solvent, but no longer is after all of the expenses paid to lawyers. I think it was the, the other way around. I think it was Daniel Friedberg, who is another um, FTX lawyer, was complaining that Ryan wanted to retain uh, SNC because he came from Oh, I'm SNC. sorry. I got it backwards. And so, yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the, the weird part. Yeah. So there's some circular circle jerk thing going on with respect to Sullivan and Cromwell, but it seems that the, it seems that for the most part, the bankruptcy, the bankruptcy lawyer is, or sorry, the bankruptcy judge is just like, whatever, suck it up. It happens. So I don't know what to make of it. I don't know what your guys view was on this whole drama. You know, if, if, um, if you, uh, are, a a Jane and you, you, you kill a hundred people but uh, you accidentally step on a grasshopper. You're still probably guilty in your moral, in the moral compass of your your particular religion, even though the grasshopper may have been like unintentionally killed. And I sort of feel like, yeah, sure, there was sort of probably some like not perfect reasoning about something in this case, and I'm sure lawyers are maximizing fees. But like, this is like trying to like just like charade over the fact that like that everything else happened and he has two and that the doj has his two close associates of some form ratting on him so like like who cares like this is just like smoke and mirrors in my mind well it's definitely meant to distract from the core issues right the core issues are the collapse of an exchange most likely due to tens of billions of dollars of fraud <laughs> and you're right like you might find other issues in process. And in some cases, the issues in process are more important than the underlying thing because, you know, when you get process right or wrong, it impacts every future case ever. And like sometimes you see things overturned or whatever due to process. But you're right. Like in this case, the event is so massive and the process seems so small that like process is a intentional distraction. It does feel like Part of what's so interesting about this case, I mean, we're basically seeing one of the largest corporate frauds of the last couple decades play out. And anytime that you have something that's that catastrophic, 
you just get all sorts of vultures coming out trying to capitalize on that process. And, you know, I, I don't know enough to be able to tell whether Sullivan and Cromwell is there. There certainly seems to be a lot of smoke. I don't know how to evaluate the fire. It's, it's, it's kind of an education for all of us just to see, like, when things go this fucking wrong, what happens and how many other things also go wrong downstream, you know? And so that, that, that kind of feels like the story that we're all going to learn from this. I, I bet you. I bet you the same thing was true with all, a lot of the other cases, like Madoff. Oh, absolutely. Whatever. Like, like I'm sure that like there was some oversight, right? Like, if you watch the Madoff thing, like there are tons of people who are like, "Oh, the process screwed us because the trustee took too much money." Whatever, right? Like, I, I don't think it's possible to have committed such a large crime and and then its unwinding doesn't cause its own problems, but like. Come on, this is just a PR thing. Like, I, I, I do really get the feeling that perhaps in this way, Sam might still be somewhat delusional and that he thinks that the PR game that got him to where he got in 2021 is still the correct strategy to be deploying at this time and that, like, it'll continue to It work. does seem that he's moderated. It does seem that he's moderated, right? Like, he's not coming on Twitter spaces anymore. He's not doing shows anymore. He's not doing interviews anymore. Um, he is just, like, these two... Substack pieces and then retweeting everything that's negative about Sullivan and Cromwell is basically what he's down to. So it does seem like um, he's probably listening to someone's advice at this point. But I mean, even then, like at the, you know, for instance, how many, how many, how many things have you heard from from Trabuco? How many things have you heard from Caroline? I I don't think he's really following that. He still has this fundamental belief that like he's going to talk his way out of this, which I like. It, at least it seems like it, right? Like it, it, it doesn't feel like he's like acknowledged that. And like, I agree. He still is trying to win over with whatever arguments he has, the court of public opinion. And most of the arguments I don't think matter, you know, Oh, FTX us shouldn't have been put into bankruptcy. Therefore I'm innocent. Like it's ridiculous, <laughs> but like, he's still trying to make, you know, what he thinks are logical arguments using very long form blog posts which are usually convincing to the average person. And bad Excel skills. <laughs> and bad Excel skills. A lot of people picking on his Excel because skills. that's all he has. What's it's wrong with his Excel skills? The Excel spreadsheets look fine to me. I saw everyone on Twitter dunk, dunking on his Excel tables, and I was like, they look like fine to me. What if you're all a bunch of management consultants or something? No, I just, I just thought it was like, it was more like he has no provenance in the sheets. He just takes like screenshot of like five numbers written and they're all exactly the same. And I was like, there's no fucking way you have zero variance between your number and Sullivan Cromwell's number. And you're not even tracking like that. You know what I mean? Like, like just like basic, like sanity checks, like, Oh, they're exactly equal. Really? Like th there's a lot of stuff there where you're like, I don't believe, how could you even believe this? Or thing? he's like, Oh, these are the numbers as I remember them from months <laughs> <Yeah>. ago. <laughs> yeah. well, it's like, all right, buddy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the big claim in this most recent post was like, oh, there's a $400 million bank, bank account sitting somewhere that like, you know, the auditors didn't take into account. It's like, I, I find that hard to believe that they couldn't find a bank account, which is like, you know, the easiest thing to find. To be fair, I will say I, I am still one thing I still don't understand and hope to understand as this unfolds is like, where did this $5 billion come from? And like, why couldn't that have actually been used to process withdrawals? Well, because there, I mean, if there's more liabilities than assets, right? If you keep processing withdrawals, then it's just a race to the exit. So that is where you do want to say, 
and and the withdrawals are in a specific asset that the customer has in their ledger at FTX. For which sure, won't match the assets that FTX has. For sure, but they were claiming that they were like liquid stables ETH, right? Like I was actually like if you and, and I was like a, a little bit surprised by that aspect of this five billion dollar recovery that they were like very liquid crypto and stables because. You know, in November and December, all the things you heard were like they had nothing at all. Well, no, no, no. I mean, we know they had a bunch of FTT and Soul and all this other stuff. No, no, this doesn't include that. It explicitly states it oh, does I not see. include that. It explicitly states it's stable quint and liquid crypto, which is like that was what I was see. surprising. I see. Well, Soul is liquid. I mean, if they have a lot that's a lot. That's a lot to have. True, had. true, true. Yeah, the soul might the soul soul might be one once twenty percent of that. Yeah. But I, I just think five billion out of even if it's like 13, is actually a way higher recovery ratio than I would have predicted. I agree, but it, it also tracks where the claims are being priced, right? So claims are being priced at like, you know, 10 to 15 cents, which again, if you sort of look forward and say, okay, it's going to take many years to get this paid back, you might eventually get 40 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar. That's roughly where, you know, if, if claims are trading at 15 cents today, and then, you know, the people who are buying them from you make roughly a 3x, assuming that things go right, that's about how they were being priced. In the beginning, the one one interesting thing. Speaking of the 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 liquidators, so the the Alameda liquidators were found on chain, just like bumbling around, getting liquidated, like sending a bunch of failed transactions. <laughs> like they just had no idea what they were doing. It was crazy to see who are these fucking liquidators who keep getting liquidated on Ave, losing tons and tons of money for all the. It's it's like what what is this clown show? John Ray's team are not veteran teachers. I'm just yeah. like, dude, just pay one Twitter DGen, just like you know, a hundred bucks an hour to tell you how Ave works. The Twitter DGen is going to take well, no, all the money. Yeah, don't give them the money. Yeah. Just have them explain to you how Ave works. You know, like this is not that complicated. Just screen share. You know. I just think uh, there's also this this fact of like this, stuff like this though does make me wonder how the five billion. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. I would agree with that. It makes it a lot harder to trust any of these processes seeing what's going on with the uh, the Alameda liquidation. As they say, it's not real until it's actually cash. Like they might say it's five billion, but like I am curious about their process to liquidate that into assets that can be distributed to the creditors because you know, if they're counting illiquid assets in there, it's gonna be really annoying when people see them, yeah. you know, being monetized. You know, a, a, a very nice thought experiment that I taught, I was, I spent some time talking about with some friends who um, uh, are, are, are more in AI type of stuff and was, you know, Anthropic, this machine learning company that whose Series B was done by Sam, Nishad, and Caroline, $500 million Series B, which came from the, the loans, is trying to raise uh, like up round. And so one question that, and I guess that's been publicly reported, whatever. But one question is like, sure, like, you know, that, that most all that money theoretically should be going to FTX creditors. But there's also this question of who signs the, the Series C docs if, like, say, all three of them were in jail. Was it with FTX? Uh, was it on the FTX balance sheet or Alameda? Technically, no, but it's in the bankruptcy proceedings because it's kind of like the Robin Hood shares. There were there were mm. fees, so like forfeiture style. So, so it's like I actually am very curious of like the procedural stuff of like how an a illiquid asset owned by this thing in this huge nuclear bomb waste that is like 
because the market is crazy, is trying to raise this yeah. huge up round. I, I assume either the bankruptcy court or the you know debtors like if the DOJ sees it, then it's the DOJ, right? Yeah. Can you imagine the DOJ signing the Series C docs? <laughs> well, Mister Tarun, I remember actually bringing it back to Anthropic. Weren't you talking all sorts of shit about the Anthropic uh, investment? And now you know with Claude and GPG three and all this stuff, yeah. it actually looks like an amazing investment. Yeah, you're just saying they're about to raise an up round. Maybe that was the smartest thing that. Maybe this is going to make the FTX creditors whole. You never know. I know, I know. I made a bunch of jokes on Twitter about that <laughs> okay. two weeks ago. So don't right. The irony would just be incredible. The irony would be, but I'm I'm much more of a of, of a fan of of adept and uh, you know OpenAI and a couple other people. Definitely not Anthropic, okay. but mainly because they are uh, you know EA of course, porn. Of course, so you're not ready to, to recant. Yeah, you're not company. ready to recant. Okay, got no, it. got it. But but if they make if they if they make the creditors hold, I'll be hilarious. I, I really think like the, I, Microsoft investing in OpenAI caused FTX creditors to be made whole. That would be like such a funny like human centipede of capitalism. Human centipede of capitalism. All right, I think we got the title of the show. <laughs> All right, well we're up on time, so I think with that we're gonna wrap. Uh, thank you everybody, and we'll be back soon. See y'all. <laughs>